This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Psalm 31 is our topic today. Psalm th- so, poof, Psalm 31. Already off to a good start. <laughs> I didn't know it was a tongue twister. <laughs> Psalm 31. That's why uh, so many readers in church, um, they don't ever read the uh, title of the psalm. They just start because, you know, it's just such a tongue twister. Mm. Um, no, but uh, here we are. This is uh, the psalm that is read just after the person is baptized, dipped into the water, and raised out again. This is the psalm that's read. Uh, Father Jeffrey, it seems that, you know, the psalm is included here. Kind of on a practical level, it takes time to dry off. Yeah, and get dressed. Exactly. And, like, it seems that the psalm is here, on one hand, on a practical level, just to to give the, the newly baptized time to dry off and get dressed. I agree. And, you know, I would say if you were to quiz, you know, the vast majority of Orthodox Christians who've been to many baptisms and they probably couldn't tell you much of what goes on in this psalm, because of course, if it's a baby, it's been baptized, you know, everyone's cooing over that, uh, you know, how, how cute the baby mm-hmm. is and how did the baby respond to the baptism? And, you know, I, there's not a lot of attention being paid to this. So I pity the the reader of the psalm or the choir that's trying to sing this and in a way that keeps the service flowing. This is part of the liturgy. It has actually a key liturgical place here. It's, you know, if we were to do exegesis on this psalm, it, we would see it does indeed fit the themes of the service and so forth. So hopefully we'll see that today. Maybe for the this point that, you know, next time you're at a baptism, you will actually notice this rather than being distracted by the towels and the drying and the getting dressed and, you know, the photography and everything that's taking place at this time in the service. Yeah. My experience of this Psalm in the context of the baptismal service is that it is only if I am actually the one responsible for reading it, do I ever notice it. Right. Because, you know, like you said, there's just there's a whole lot of stuff going on. There's a cacophony of stuff going on. And usually it's just the reader quietly reading in the corner and people are like, okay, whatever you, you keep reading whatever you want, but we're just going to focus on, you know, the baby or whatever it might be. From a practical point of view, it, it wouldn't, you know, go wrong if we just sort of waited and said this after all that kerfuffle has, you know, settled down a little bit. I mean, we're, we're so, I think, um, nervous or or shy about having silence in services so we sort of think we've got to kind of roll on here keep it going and and we'll have this so that nobody's paying attention to it but at least it's in the background right the bit the way you put music on and in a lift or in a restaurant or something like that we we abhor silence somehow and Mm -hmm. i think maybe we need to be more comfortable with that silence and sort of allow for the commotion to take place and then when everyone's ready and settled then we can listen to this psalm because I think it does correspond directly to what's happened. It, it, it points forward to what's about to to take place, and uh, you know it, it's a key part of the service, and we miss it unfortunately. Yeah, I've been in churches where actually what they did is they would read one verse from the psalm, and then they would sing, and this is I guess a way of extending 
the the time. Like, let's say it's going to be, I mean, 10 minutes or five, five, 10 minutes before the person is going to be dried and dressed and ready to go. Um, I've seen it done in churches where they will chant one verse from the psalm and then sing the little troparian, the little hymn that happens after this, which is, you know, grant to me a robe of light, O most merciful Christ our God, which is about the baptismal garment. Um, so it would be like somebody would slowly chant one verse and then the, the chanters would sing, grant to me a robe of light. And that would, that would take some time. And then they go back and they read another verse from the psalm and then they chant, grant to me a robe of light again. Um, I think that's yeah, probably yeah. an attempt to just, just sort of stretch it out a little bit. But, um, but it, it may I, also contribute to participation, right? Because anytime you get that sort of response or refrain, yeah refrain and everything by the time you've sung it two or three times people are going to pick up the words and may actually start paying attention you yeah. know to what's going on there so yeah that that may be an, another way of doing it you know um but you know certainly let's do something to call attention to the themes that are, are evoked here so why don't we throw ourselves into this psalm and see what it has to say wonderful i'm thinking how about i just read the whole thing right now yep. and then okay. we can Maybe do like a general impression and then go deep dive into some of the particular verses. Yep. Okay. Um, here we go. Psalm 31. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account and in whose mouth there is no deceit. Because I kept silent, my bones grew old from my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I became miserable when the thorn pierced me. I made known my sin, and I did not hide my transgression. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the ungodliness of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is holy will pray to him in a well-fitting time. Surely they will not draw near to him in a flood of many waters. You are my refuge from the oppression of those who surround me. Oh, my exceeding joy, redeem me from those who encircle me. I will give you understanding, and I will teach you in the way you should walk. I will fix my eyes on you. Do not be like the horse and mule, which have no understanding. You squeeze their jaws with bitten bridle, lest they come near you. Many are the scourges of the sinner, but he who hopes in the Lord, shall mercy, mercy shall encircle him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice greatly, O righteous ones, and boast all you upright in heart. There we go. Yeah, general impressions like some of the some of clearly the theme here is forgiveness of sins. You know, there's the reference to the first the first line, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You know, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account and, and kind of throughout, you know, you forgave the ungodliness of my sin. Um I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Um so clearly there's this um there's this voluntary vo voluntary confession on the part of let's say the speaker of the psalm but then there's also the assurance of the forgiveness of of god as well that's my that's my general impression well absolutely um it, it's it's a joyful psalm right it is it is such a, a wonderful hymn of praise to god's uh, grace and forgiveness. I mean, th there are some people who would kind of classify this amongst the penitential psalms in the sense that it, you know, treats things like repentance and and mercy and so forth. But there's not a lot of penitence going mm. on here. This is this is just sheer joy, right? The and the contrast between what it was like um, 
to go from the hiddenness of a sin, a sin that was kind of unacknowledged and uh, kept silent, right? Uh, and, you know, what, what kind of a miserable existence that involved, right? You know, bones growing old from mm-hmm. groaning and the hand of God heavy and, and the thorns piercing and so forth. So there's a hiddenness of the sin. But when that's, when that's released, when that's acknowledged and opened up, the immediate response of God is to hide the person in his mercy, right? To cover mm-hmm. him in the mercy. And in fact, the words in Hebrew here are, are the same words, right? The, 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 the penitent here who, who had hidden his sin and was miserable with it, but now is hidden, covered, sheltered, protected, secure in God's grace and mercy. It's like a total 180 degrees here. This is, mm-hmm. and, and, and as I say, it's not really a penitential psalm in the sense of kind of drawing out the, you know, ascetical struggle or, you know, you know, there's no acts of penitence. There's no punishment. There's just, there, there isn't anything to do here except to acknowledge the sin. Right, and, and three different words are used for for sin here: sin, iniquity, transgression. In the Hebrew, uh, here the translation you read, you had sin and transgression twice. But the point is, that it's it's like all encompassing. So every dimension of sin, or 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 you know, going away from the path of the law of righteousness of God, is now forgiven and blessed is that person, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that fullness of God's grace and, and happiness and, and, and protection and, and, and so forth. This is, it's, it, the transformation here is, is utter and complete. And what a wonderful time to be singing this, you know, precisely at the moment where somebody has been buried, hidden in the waters of the baptismal font and then rises again and it is clothed in newness of life. This is about new creation, right? This is about one who's gone from the old person, groaning, heavy, pierced by thorns to being just filled with the light and grace and forgiveness of God. And there's not a whole lot we need to do apart from accept it, right? Accept to open that up, acknowledge our sin, our, our frailty, our weakness, and God immediately acts. You know, I'm reminded of that time when, you know, that whole story of David and Bathsheba and, you know, the, the murder, the adultery, the deceit and, the, and so forth. And then Nathan, the prophet, comes to him. And when David acknowledges what he's done and says, I've sinned before the Lord, Nathan immediately says, God has put your sin aside. There's no process of, okay, well, six months from now, we might look at this or, you know, Mm -hmm. what is the, what are the canonical, you know, implications of what you've done? You need to go and do this sort of act of, of, of penitence and so forth. None of that, right? God has set your sin aside, you know, despite how great that sin was. So here we have the same thing happening in this song, no matter how you've arrived here to acknowledge your sin before God is to accept God's grace and forgiveness. And, and this is what the baptismal font, you know, is all about. And uh, it just, it's really a marvelous psalm. I say it's, it's such a pity that we don't pay a lot of attention to it at this point in the service. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. 
If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. That motif you mentioned, I mean, struck me as, as quite beautiful. The the, I, I think we all know this intuitively that, you know, because I kept silent, my bones grew old from my groaning all day long. Like when, um, here's an example. This isn't really uh, an example of sin, but um, I, I once was grocery shopping with my wife, and I just. I was really annoyed at her for some reason. And I couldn't identify why, like it, it, there was no particular thing that made me annoyed with her. But then it was, I don't know, like we get home and, and I had some, I went for a big walk. I was like, I'm, I, I'm having these really like, um, reactionary kind of feelings, this negative feelings. And I don't know where it's coming from. So I went for a walk and I realized that it was, you know, a couple of days ago I had heard some news about something and, I had not yet like talked through it. I had not yet kind of been able to to share that or bring it to light. And and I felt like this was the way that it was coming out, right? In these sort of negative feelings. And then I talked to Nikaila about it. And immediately it was like a immediately the, you know, the 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 pressure was lifted, right? Um, and it was like, oh, a breath of fresh air. Okay, that's what it was. And I'm sure lots of our listeners have had similar experiences. And uh, this is why we also come to confession in our, in our Orthodox tradition as well. Um, but having that like feeling of the weight lifted off, right? Um, we say here, uh, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. I became miserable when the thorn pierced me. I made known my sin. I did not hide my transgression. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the ungodliness of my sin. And there's this sort of upward motion, this, this release. And um, yeah. And I mean, that motif of the hiddenness, right. And then we become hidden in the, in, in God. Like, I don't know. It's, it was a very beautiful uh, image there, Father Jeffrey. Absolutely. I, I mean, this is so true to what we know, you know, even today, you know, psychologically, uh, you know, the, the whole, practice of psychotherapy and everything, which was developed, you know, it's important to remember by people out of the Jewish tradition, mm -hmm. people like Freud and so forth are just, you know, when, when they talked about this idea of un needing to unburden things from the kind of deep subconscious and, you know, to kind of bring things into the light that are hidden and suppressed and, and everything within it. I mean, they're just reflecting Psalms like this, right? It, it, this was a, a kind of Jewish uh, scriptural insight that has now been made, you know, part of kind of modern mental health and uh, well-being and so forth. So we know this and we've been told this more and more and more in our, you know, kind of, uh, health disciplines and, and, and so forth today. It's, but to be reminded of this in this context, I think is important as well, that this is a key part of the Christian spiritual life, that we are in a position of completely unburdening ourselves from that, to come out of this, this silence of denial and, you know, suppression and, you know, this kind of hiddenness of all the dark parts of ourselves to know that we can stand naked and, and, the baptismal candidate, as we've talked about before, you know, stands naked physically and spiritually before God and to sort of say everything, 
is in the open now. And when everything is in the open, God can immediately, readily forgive everything. And to know that, to be loved at that point of vulnerability, at that point of of taking that step of, of, of opening up, you know, means that, you know, our lives are completely transformed, right? And so, you know, it, it's weird that, you know, today you see this in the psychotherapist's office, you know, the person on the couch, you know, goes through this experience, but so often in our Christian churches, you know, people have forgotten this insight and they maybe go around saying things like, well, you know, I, I pray every day to God, I confess my sins, you know, that way, you know, in the quietness of my room, but do they really, you know, are they really taking this step? So to, to have something like this dramatic, you know, service of baptism, which is then reprised in a way every time we go to confession, right? Sacramental confession is, is that second baptism, that second opportunity to stand in this place. We would be rushing to it. We would be wanting to do this every time we had anything that burdened us, every time we have something that we're kind of suppressing or keeping silent about denying in ourselves. And, you know, we would acknowledge that there's no good that comes from that. And, and the fact is, that the new creation, the new age, is the age of grace and forgiveness. I mean, that is the message that from St. John the Forerunner, who went before our Lord, and to our Lord himself, the first words out of their mouths are, repent, the kingdom of God has come. And what does it look like? It looks like this. For those who turn to God, their sins are forgiven them. And I think it's really important to realize this is not a transactional you know, kind of thing, which so often, you know, Christians, you know, think of it, you know, so what is the thing we do in order to, to kind of uh, achieve this forgiveness of a particular sin? It, it is, in fact, the reality of the kingdom of God. It's the, the air that surrounds us in that kingdom. So if we are, if we die to ourselves and are born to that in newness of life, that is what we breathe in. And what we breathe out is God's grace and forgiveness. It is the reality of that, of that new age. And so it's a, it's an existential and ontological change. It's not just this transactional thing about, okay, well, how is baptism for the forgiveness of sins? If we do these right prayers or these right actions, somehow, you know, there can be this kind of court based action where, you know, these particular things can be can be dealt with. And then people go to confession afterwards on that same kind of transactional basis. It's not that. It's that that is the world that we've entered into by our death and resurrection in Christ. And everything is about this. And let's stand there. Let's live there. And where we've fallen away from it, let's return there. And so let, let's use this psalm as the, the inspiration um, for us to continue to relive our baptismal uh, newness of life, a return to newness of life every time we go to confession. So the Psalms often have these turns of phrase, depending on the translation, that are a little enigmatic. And there's one here, um, for this cause, everyone who is holy will pray to him in a well-fitting time. That makes sense to me. Surely they will not draw near to him in a flood of many waters. Um that one confuses me a little bit. Surely they, so they is in reference to the people who can, you know, pray to God in a well-fitting time, but you know, they will not draw near to him in a flood of many waters. Does that mean, the, I mean, the many waters, of course, is this, is, is a very powerful men, uh, metaphor throughout the scriptures. Um, but I guess the many waters here would be 
I don't know, the, the chaos of life. I, I, I'm not sure. Would you be able to speak a little bit about this verse? Surely they will not draw near to him in a flood of many waters. Yeah. So the, I mean, sometimes the Hebrew can be, you know, difficult to right, render. Right, so right. if we look at different English translations, we might get something, you know, that, that makes a little bit more sense of it. But of course, one of the reasons this psalm will be chosen and put here is that we've just seen a flood of many waters, yeah, right? Yeah. We, you know, so there's an irony or a paradox here because, of course, the original and, and obvious meaning is the one you just gave it. The, the flood of many waters is something you don't want to happen to you. It's that, it's that water as destruction and death and chaos, you know, one of the, the meanings of water. But, of course, we've just exercised such water. And the waters have become instead while retaining the sense of death because it's a plunging down into the death of Christ, but they've also become a source of new life. They've become the water of cleansing, of uh, representing the flowing fountain of God's mercy, forgiveness, and, and grace, and so forth. So in a way, we've got this person who's just been plunged into a flood of many waters for the sake of joining uh, you know, to the, the new creation, uh, becoming mm -hmm. a, a new person. And so, you know, I think both of those things, uh, you know, are playing there. But yeah, and the, the kind of original sense here is that for those who have turned to God and confessed their sins, received grace and forgiveness, they are then protected. You know, we, the the impetus or the you know original intention was to hide the sin for the sake of security. I mean, that's why we deny things, right? It's why we we hide from from reality. We we try to cover things up we try to avoid facing the truth of of situations because we're we're desperate to be secure and we don't want to lose that security if people found out about things or if we admit our weakness then we're going to somehow fall away from from that security well the, the irony of that of course is that is precisely when we are in distress that's when the flood of many waters you know surround us and and we are in a very dangerous insecure place it's only, the security comes from that openness and to receiving god's you know forgiveness and, and and love and then we will be protected from that but of course there's that paradox of well to get there we go through the flood of many waters itself right we are plunged to the depths in order to rise and so i mean i think all these things are, are coming into play but it, it, mm -hmm. it's a tricky verse to to kind of render there but essentially it's uh that we will we will be in a place of security having confessed our sins and received grace from god um the New Revised Standard Version translates it as, Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of many wa a mighty waters shall not reach them. Um, right. Which, which paints it as, you know, the, the mighty waters won't reach the exactly. person who's praying to God. Yeah. And because God is what? A hiding place for me, a preservation from trouble, right? Surrounding mm -hmm the person with glad cries of deliverance. So it's all about that security, that, that place yeah. of, of, of real, of having a real foundation. And that's what's being constructed here, right? I mean, to go from the old man to the new man, to put off Adam and put on Christ is to build a solid foundation for one's human life. Because of course, who is the ultimate exemplar and model and pattern of humanity? It's Jesus Christ. And so that's, a new humanity that is far more solid, far more secure 
than than the old one. So contra our you know initial instincts to, to sort of pre- of self preservation somehow of let's hide you know don't let anybody find out about this darkness inside me. Don't let anybody find out what about what I've done. So we dissimulate, we lie, we deceive, we we deceive ourselves, right? Not only our loved ones and people who surround us. We we hide things from ourselves, but that ends up in misery and despair and suffering. And so this. The psalm is marvelous. It turns from that to a real place of security, right? These days, you know, it's pretty uh, current to, to speak about, you know, finding place, safe places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here, here's a place where you can be yourself. Uh, you know, you're not going to have, you know, your, your very identity and personhood attacked. You can be yourself in this place. And, you know, people put that on their offices or they put them, you know, in common uh, places where people can, can know that they, they, they have a refuge there, a place of security. Well, this is what this is about. And we know that ultimately as people of the covenant and family of God, that the only real place of security is in the presence of God. And, and what a marvelous hymn to that, that this is. Mm-hmm. There's this one section later uh, in the latter half of the psalm where it seems to be, you know, God speaking to God, God speaking to us. Um, so I'll, I'll read that section, and we can maybe pick out a couple of things here. I will give you understanding, and I will teach you in the way you should walk. I will fix my eyes on you. Do not be like the horse and the mule, which have no understanding. You squeeze their jaws with bitten bridle, lest they come near you. Um, some of some of this makes sense to me. You know, um, I will fix my eyes on you. That definitely makes sense to me. Some of the stuff about the uh, the horse and mule makes a little bit less sense. But um, yeah, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about uh, about this section here. This happens in a couple of psalms where you know God is is speaking directly to the person kind of praying the psalm. Um, this happens in Psalm 90, um, where God is yeah, assuring the, the reader of their place uh, with him. Yeah, it's this shift in pronouns, um, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's difficult. It's not always easy to tell exactly what's happening, you know, in these psalms. Of course, the original doesn't have, you know, quotation marks <laughs> right, or, right. Or, or, or even capital letters on the pronouns that God would use, that sort of right. thing. Um, and arguably, you know, you could make a case here that this is, you know, potentially not, uh, I mean, maybe it's God, but it's secondarily or, or in another way of looking at it, this is the person who stands in God's presence being able to then turn outward, right? Mm. Because, um, you know, the, I mean, as we'll go on to see in the baptism service, you know, this isn't job done. This isn't the end of the story. Coming into this place of security in, in God's grace and forgiveness and love isn't the end end as it were it is the commissioning of this person for ministry right there is no baptism without ordination without commissioning to go out as one who can proclaim this and so you could say that you get this too in a lot of the psalms where you know the you know, having been restored or brought into that place of, of forgiveness or of god's grace that there's a responsibility then to proclaim that to to go out mm. and to to redeem the world because god has you know, there's no inactive or unemployed members of God's covenant community. If you are inactive and unemployed, the chances are you are not really fully a member. And that's pause for for thought and concern, possibly. So this could also be, you know, any maybe using the words, you know, of God himself, that 
there is a responsibility then to go and show the world just how marvelous this is. This will teach you the way in which you should walk. I mean, don't do what I did, right? Don't don't fall into that trap of suppressing, denying, you know, lying to yourself and and just sort of hiding these things, thinking that somehow, well, you know, I'll I'll get better. But rather to follow this path, this path of acknowledging fault, acknowledging where we fall short of God and and immediately accepting the forgiveness that is, that is offered. This is the way that you should go. Don't be stubborn, you know, mm-hmm. like animals that that require, you know, breaking in, that require various instruments, you know, you know blinders and 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 bit and bridle and so forth that you, with which they need to be controlled or brought into line. I mean, how often? You know, that's a really powerful image, right? I mean, how often do we try to live our Christian life according to that? We're looking for the bit in the bridle. We're looking for those mm-hmm. things that we can be controlled by the rules. T- t- Father, just tell me what I need to do, and 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 I'll tell you all the ways I've broken mm-hmm. the rules. I, but that's not the point. The point is to go from from a place where we are trying on our own terms to be secure and finding no security at all to being fully loved and embraced by God's forgiveness, you know, that's freeing. And and we don't need bit and bridle in the Christian life. We need that proclamation of God's forgiveness. So there's a responsibility then. Yes, it's words of God towards us, but it's also our words to the world when we have come to experience this so that we can bring everybody into this joy. This is a joyful expression of what it means to be forgiven. And why would we not want this for everybody? And so it's a, a second of commissioning to go out and, and proclaim and announce the arrival of the kingdom of God, like John the foreigner, like Jesus himself proclaim in the gospels. So for our final uh, observation today, you know, Father Jeffrey, you can imagine people are standing in a baptism. Let's say it's an infant baptism where the baby is plunged into the water and brought out. The baby is perhaps crying. People are laughing or whatever it might be. The flash of the camera is going. They take the baby to the side. This psalm is being said, and you happen to be in the congregation. What what should you do? Like, should you try and ignore this sort of chaos of the moment and really try and listen to the psalm? Or should you just let the psalm serve as like a background to, or as one element of the entire experience of that moment? I don't know. What's, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, I think we've kind of hinted at this before. I mean, liturgy is not a, a constant, you know, demander of our 100% attention, right? I mean, we wouldn't, it just doesn't work that way. It's an immersion uh, into an experience. And there are times in services where, you know, something will strike us, you know, some particular phrase or word or some particular ritual action. And we dwell in that moment. It's not that we have to give 100% of our attention to kind of doing deep theological reflection or exegesis on every single phrase of the liturgy, we would very quickly tire out and, you know, fall down from exhaustion if that were the case. But I mean, I think you probably have the same experience I do that, you know, every service, every time we serve a a service, even if it's all the same words, particular things strike us, particular things come to the fore, or we're, you know, we're drawn into one particular moment or whatever. And so I think part of it is to have experienced this enough times or to have taken the time 
you know, outside of the service to have looked at the words or prayed these. I mean, surely this psalm comes up in people's daily prayers anyway. If you're reading the psalms with some regularity, you might say, oh, look, maybe, uh, you know, this is that psalm from, from baptism. Let me take a little bit of time with this. Or indeed, you could go and find a really good podcast to listen to where, you know, some of this is, is explored a little bit. So mm. having done that work, you're then there. And yeah, in the chaos of the moment, you know, uh, it's maybe just being chanted quietly in the background. So it's not really being brought to the foreground, but you know, you can have something of it. And if you took anything from this, it would be that joy, you know, for that, that last phrase there, uh, you know, be glad in the Lord and rejoice greatly, O righteous ones and boast all you upright in heart. I mean, the, the word for boast there is actually in the Hebrew, like a shout for joy kind of thing. Um, so if you take anything from this, it's shouting with joy. And I suppose in all of that cacophony and laughter that you describe in, in, in and around, particularly for infants being baptized, you know, it's a real moment of, of kind of uh, silliness and, you know, and confusion and, and so forth. But but, but but of joy, right? And so in that regard, I suppose people are in the heart of, of this psalm, even if they haven't taken the time to kind of, you know, do a deep dive into the exegesis of it or whatever. But if you, if you're experiencing joy at this moment, you've got it right. And so, you know, in a way it's, this whole thing is like a joyful expansion of what we've already done, which is say, oh man, you know, the servant of God is baptized. Amen. And, and how do we, what is that amen? It's a joyful expression of our response to God's immediate forgiveness of us when we open our hearts to him and amen to that. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show, and if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.